Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, The New Meeting Place with God. Join us in John chapter 2, verses 12 through 22. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Take your Bible out to chapter 2 of John now, okay? And, oh, this is good. If you were here last week, oh, I love the, the, the scene. I love the lesson. I love the truth that, was, that, that we could draw out of the text. And I like the way John writes this gospel. He writes it different than the other three guys. The other three guys have a similarity in what they're doing and why they're doing it, even though they're different and they see things different. And it's... It's all purposeful. The Gospels are purposeful. But John, he writes different. It's different. He's, he's a little unusual. Oh, I like the way he does this, though. And he goes about it differently on purpose. Okay? So you're going to see, as we unpacked last Sunday, the story of the wedding at Cana, it ended with a statement that the disciples believed After this whole thing, what was John after? What was Jesus after? What did John feature? He featured that they believed. John chapter 2, verse 11, this is what happened. Jesus did this as the first of his miraculous signs, you know, turning the water into wine. Oh, it was great. In Canaan of Galilee. In this way, he revealed his glory and his disciples, what? Believed in him. All right? So the miracle of turning water into wine is called a sign, And the purpose of the sign was to reveal the glory of Jesus and bring about belief in his guys and his disciples and his followers. They needed to have buy-in. Buy-in and belief, real belief. Now, look at how the story that we're unpacking today ends. The story is about Jesus driving money changers out of the temple and being asked for a sign and telling them he would raise the destroyed temple in three days. And the story ends in verse 22 like this. This is how it ends. I'm going to give you the end before we actually look at the beginning. Here it is, verse 22. So after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they what? Believed. They believed the scripture and the saying that Jesus had spoken. This is what John's after. This is what he wants to do. And he's brilliant at doing it. It's another scene and another story that's awesome. Let's read John chapter 2. And I want you to start in verse 12. So in verse 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. Those are his guys. Those are his men. And they stayed there a few days. Now, the Jewish feast of Passover is near, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In verse 14, he found that in the temple courts, those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers sitting around tables. I mean, this is like going to the flea market. Now, this next thing that John identifies right here, I think it's shocking. I think it's shocking. So he made a whip of cords. You know, imagine I just show up in the courtyard out here when you're all out there. And I just, I got a whip in my hand. I mean, are you kidding? What is your first Sunday here? And you see me walking around with a whip. 
You know all the tables we put out there? Now, I'm not comparing that. I'm just saying it's shocking if somebody shows up with a whip. I don't care what uh, era you're living in. There's only one reason to have a whip. I, I kind of like the fact that Indiana Jones had a whip. There's only one purpose. And I don't ever think that your like, attitude is, I'm just carrying this around for fun. I'm making this for fun. Okay, so I just want you to put that in your head just a little bit. Because here, here, here he goes, right? <clears throat> so he made a whip with cords, that's verse 15. Drove them all out of the temple courts with the sheep and the oxen. And he scattered the coins. He dumped the money everywhere, the money changers. He overturned the tables. So to those who sold um, the doves, he said, take these things away from here. Don't make my father's house a marketplace, a, a, a flea market, a swap meet, right? His disciples remembered that it was written, and if it's in bold, that means it's reaching back into the Old Testament. Zeal for your house will devour me. Verse 18 now. So then the Jewish leaders responded, and this is snarky, it's sarcastic, and it's manipulative. The Jewish leaders responded, what sign can you show us? Since you're doing these things. Jesus replied, and believe me, he's got an attitude here. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up again. And then the Jewish leader said to him, this temple's been under construction for 46 years. And are you going to raise it up in three days? And Jesus, he's speaking about the temple of his own body. So after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they what? They believed the scriptures and the saying that Jesus had spoken. Now, this is still, like I said, this is, I think this is a magnificent scene. I really do. John is being very intentional, just like I said. In John 20, verse 31, he tells us the reason he wrote the gospel, right? Let's just put it up again. Here's the reason. These are all recorded so that you may believe that, the, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you can have life in his name. That's why all this is there. So this is John's purpose. This is um, Jesus' purpose. He's pointing out that verse 11 in, in chapter 2 and verse 22, that this is the purpose of these events when they happened. And he's praying that it'll have the same sort of impact when he tells them and you read them, and when I point them out, and I teach about it. So let's see how this works. I think it's pretty easy to see how it works, but you do have to apply yourself. I put no other notes but the Bible verses in here. And you can just watch the screen, or you could try to engage a little bit and make some uh, notes on your paper and underline things. I'm going to leave that up to you today, because I think it just kind of teaches itself. Here we go. Look at verses 13 and 14. It says, now the Jewish feast of Passover is near. So Jesus, uh, he went up to Jerusalem, right? He found the temple. That's where um, uh, it, it is, right? The temple courts. That's different. I don't even need to put a picture of that up, right? You, it, it's, it's the courts. It's the out, outside, right? Those who are selling oxen, sheep, and doves. So there's animals everywhere. The money changers. What, who are those guys sitting at tables? So inside the temple court, a place that's meant for prayer. If all you got to do is just a little bit of work and you realize it's meant for prayer and other acts of worship. There's, there's 
penned up oxen, sheep, cages of pigeons, doves, and people selling those things, sitting around them and waiting to make a transaction. And then there's other people there who are prepared to exchange someone's money who'd made this journey. You could call it a pilgrimage if you want. They made this journey to the temple into, uh, uh, there, there's these guys sitting around waiting for those people to exchange their money into the right currency so that they can make a purchase. All right? So if you show up with ruples, We'll turn them into dollars for you. Although that's not what it would be, right? I'm just trying to make it relevant, right? So outward reason for this setup is probably that the law required sacrifices of oxen, sheep, pigeons, etc., doves. And many worshipers, all right, they've come a long way and they uh, they wouldn't have brought their sacrifices with them, right? So this made the animals readily available for purchase. You could say it was, it was the loving thing to do. We're just helping these folks out, right? You know, it's a loving thing to make the purchase convenient. I mean, because after all, you've been on a trip before. You can't take everything with you. Although that's why we make minivans now. <laughs> we try awful hard to take it all with us. What's Jesus' response? What's his response when he sees this? He knows. What's his response? Look at verse 15 and 16. So he made a whip of cords. <laughs> I'm, t- I, I'm telling you, this, this, this is super significant here. He drives them all out of the temple courts. He's mad. He's angry. The sheep, the oxen, all these things, right? He scatters the money everywhere, overturns the tables. And to those who are selling doves, he gets right up in their grill and he says, what in God's name are you doing? That's what he, that's, that's, that's literally what he says. Don't make my father's house a marketplace. He's obviously, he doesn't approve of what he sees. Why not? What's the big deal? What's the problem going on here? Don't jump too quickly to the Gospels. It's all there. But if you look at the other Gospels, for example, when Jesus does something similar in Matthew, Matthew 21, 13, he said to them, it's written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're turning it into a den of robbers. Now, John doesn't report any, uh, either of those two things, actually. He doesn't feature any of those two things. As the problem. He doesn't say it's a house of prayer. He doesn't say they're robbers. He doesn't say that. Is John even reporting about the same event? Now there's a lot of scholars got a lot to say about this. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus drives money changers out of the temple at the end of his three-year ministry. I don't know if you notice this now, though. In John, he's doing it at the beginning of his ministry. It's a little perplexing. It could be that John has moved the event and isn't claiming to have a chronological order. Maybe that's it. But there's no compelling reason to think this is not a different event altogether from what happened three years later. Jesus' response, it's not the same. It's not the same at all. And the outcome in Jerusalem, it's not the same. So maybe it's two different things. Maybe it's the same thing. Maybe it's two. 
I mean, you, you know about eyewitnesses at the scene of an accident? Everybody has a little bit different way they see it. I, I, I don't know if there's a complete explanation, but what Jesus says, what matters here is what Jesus does say. Let's just focus on that. He says in verse 16, to those who sold the doves, he said, take these things away from, my, uh, from here. Do not make my father's house a marketplace. Now remember, he's got a whip in his hand, so I don't think he's just being sweet. I don't see any compassion. <laughs> I think he's pretty mean. And I'm okay with saying that. I think this is pretty wild. You got, people got to be afraid if you're going to turn everything over and drive all these animals out. It's not like there weren't boatloads of people in there. People are running for the hills. Jesus does not say that the sellers and the money changers are robbers or that the animals are defective or that the place is a place of prayer, though it is. He says they've turned his father's house into a marketplace, into a swap meet, into a yard sale. I don't know. You can go, a bazaar, an emporium. Of, you know, it's crazy what's going on here. The disciples saw this incredible display of anger, and he is furious. He's using a homemade whip. He's turning over the oxen loose. And you know what? Have you ever been next to an ox? Those things are big. They're big. You don't want to be stepped on one of those. Dumping boxes of money on the ground and the, turning over the tables and saying, with who knows how, how if he's yelling, I, I got a feeling he's yelling. I think it's loud. Take these things out of here. Don't make my father's house a marketplace. And when the disciples see this, when they observe this, they connect it with this. This is why it's bold in, the, in, in your, in your, in your uh, version that you're reading from. And so, it's Psalm 69.9 where David the king says, what's he say? Certainly zeal for your house consumes me. I endure the insults of those who insult you. So Jesus is consumed here with zeal. For his father's house. What in God's name do you think you're doing? It's very appropriate to say it like that. What made him so angry? The contrast he pointed out was between my father's house and the marketplace. My father's house and the marketplace. My father's house means this house is about knowing and loving my father. That's what this is about. The sovereign creator of the universe. In this temple, my father has first and supreme place. He's the most valuable thing here. Psalm 8411. Oh, this is a great psalm. Certainly spending just one day in your temple courts is better than spending a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather stand in the entrance to the temple of my God than live in the tents of the wicked. But that focus has been replaced by the focus of what? Trade. It's about trade. And there's no reference here to the people who needed the animals, actually. The people who are buying the sheep and the pigeons and the doves and the whatever, right? The anger is all directed at those who are selling and handling the money. <laughs> Jesus could see through what? He could see through the camouflage of religious 
helpfulness to the heart. Right to the heart. In fact, in verse 25, John says, he did not, any, he did not need anyone to testify about man for what? For he knew what was in man. He, knew, he knows what's going on here. Don't ever think he doesn't know what's going on in your heart. We're so great at making all the excuses, aren't we? I mean, we can come up with anything and everything. What did he know? He knew that this marketplace was not fostering connection with his heavenly father. He knew that. These things aren't being done from the love of God. They're being done from the love of what? Money. Money's driving everything here. And what made it worse was that religious ritual and, and, and helpfulness was being used as a cover for greed. It's just doing stuff. All these people need some, they, we, I mean, what are they going to do? We got to make it convenient for them. Over the years, I've tried really hard. It's hard when you're leading the church. It's the most leadership intensive thing you can do. Why? I got zero leverage with anybody. I mean, you, you got to do what your boss ask, asks, right? Or let's go get another one. Now, there's times here and there, you know, but, and we have rights and, you know, all these things. But when it comes to church, I mean, everybody, that's why I'm, I'm focused a little bit today. Like, there's a difference between volunteering and serving. Totally. This camouflage of religious helpfulness, right? Anything that you do is not for nothing. It, it, it's about what goes on in your heart. If you're doing it for some other reason, then you're kind of missing the boat there. Verse 29 like, or 25, he didn't need anybody to testify, right? So what's he know? These things are being done for the love of money and its helpfulness. And so this is what Jesus saw, hypocrisy. He saw consumerism, religion used as a front for greed, empty forms of love for God, for empty forms of love for God, just, you know, over this insatiable love of money and so Jesus, he is mad. He's fired up. He's angry. Don't ever think that he's not here. When he, when he sees formal godless godlessness as a cover for gain, I mean, man. So he made it really clear that underneath the religious legalism of the Pharisees, he saw the love of money. And Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees in Luke 16, 13, look how he treats these guys. He says, no servant can serve two masters. You know, either one's going to hate, hate the one or love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. And then Luke comments in the next verse, verse 14. Luke, he's got a little commentary, right? The Pharisees, these guys, were awfully hard on them. Like, those don't represent us sometimes. Who loved money? There's his commentary. Heard all this, and they ridiculed him. Right? That's another form of hypocrisy. Shoot the messenger of truth. I don't like what you got to say. Rescue yourself with ridicule. Make an excuse. You can just hear Jesus just burning. You know, you don't get it here. And you're, you're messing with stuff. You don't understand. It's, it's obvious. Matthew 23, 25. Woe to you experts in the law, you Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're just full of greed and self-indulgence. 
You're, you, you know, it's a fine display of religious helpfulness in the temple marketplace. But you're driven by the love of money, not the love of God. It's about something else. And, 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 and isn't it only, only Jesus can do this? Only Jesus can expose things this way. Because <laughs> we're great at rationalizing things. Only he can do that. Listen to, to this expose of religious greed and covering from Mark chapter 7. And Jesus says to these same guys, right? You neatly reject the commandment of God in order to set up your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And whoever insults his father or mother may be put to death. But you say that if anyone tells his father or mother, whatever help you would have received from me is korban, that is, a gift for God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. What? What? What, what is this? I don't even know what that word is, right? Korban, it's a Hebrew loan word. It's transliterated in, Greek, in the Greek text and most modern English translations. It's referring to something that's been set aside as a gift to be given to God at some later date, but which is still in the, the possession of the owner. According to Jewish tradition, the person who made this claim was absolved from responsibility to, the, to support or assist his parents. A clear violation of the Mosaic law to honor one's parents. In other words, you don't need to support your needy parents. Just give us your money. What? Or as Jesus said in Luke 20, beware of the scribes who devour widows, their houses for a pretense. They make long prayers. And what Jesus knew that day in the temple was not... It's not an isolated incident of questionable worship support. That's not it. It's the greed disguised with religious activity. Just doing stuff. I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to be critical of the church. I mean, man, it takes all kinds of churches. And there's all kinds. Well, I think a lot of times we just do stuff. It's just religious activity. And we think we're doing something. Matthew 15, 8 and 9, these, what, what do we read here, right? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and they worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. My father's not being worshipped, he's saying. Money's being worshipped here. In my father's house, Jesus came into the, to, to the world to display the worth and the value of his father and to vindicate his father's honor and to free us from the killing effects of the love of money. <clears throat> What's their response to Jesus' anger? Verse 18, so then the Jewish leaders responded, what sign? What sign? What sign can you show us since you're doing all this stuff here? Give us a sign. <laughs> it's not really an encouraging response. Why not? Because it confirms what they're hiding. There's another time when they asked for a sign from him, for him to prove himself. Listen to what happened. This is in Matthew 12, verse 38. Some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered saying, Teacher, we wish, wish uh, to see a sign from you. But he answered, An evil and an adulterous generation seeks 
a sign. Why is it evil? Why it's adulterous? I mean, those are strong words. Why is it adulterous for them to seek for a sign from Jesus? It's because they ask for a sign. It, 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 it's a dodge. It's a sidestep. It's a trick. It's manipulation. They don't need any more signs to prove what's true. They need hearts that love what they, need to, what they know is true already. They know it. They're trying to turn the problem of greed into a problem of knowledge. If we can deflect the issue onto his authority, then the light won't shine so bright on us and all of our greed and all of our corruption. So Jesus takes their question and he gives a, a, an answer with layers, just like a rabbi would. They say, what sign do you show us for these things? Jesus answers them. Look at verse 19. Oh, this is good. He replies, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up again. And the Jewish leaders say to him, this temple's been under construction for 46 years. And are you going to raise it up in three days? And then John comments in verse 21. <laughs> but Jesus is speaking about the temple of his body. That's what he wants you to understand. So what did Jesus mean when he said, destroy the temple in three days, and I'll raise it up again? What's he after? What's he doing? Well, first, I mean, it's a couple of things. You're destroying this temple. When you desecrate the worship of my father with your greed, you're de you destroy what this temple is. And you expose it to the wrath of God. It will be destroyed. That's what he means. And you know what? It happens 40 years later with the, when the Romans level it. They level that place. But he, he's also saying what? That same consumerism, that dead spiritual reality that destroys this temple, it'll destroy me. Consumerism. Just like you kill worship in the temple with your consumerism and your materialism, you're going to kill me. My father and I, we're one. We're the same. If you destroy this house, you destroy me. If money's more important than my father, you're going to buy destruction with it. And what happens? You remember that scene? 30 pieces of silver. And Judas? <laughs> Oh, man, all the, this is rich. So he's speaking about destroying the temple, the building, and destroying this temple, my body. So what does Jesus mean when he says, in three days I'm going to raise it up again? I think you know the answer, right? He means I'm going to raise up my body in the resurrection after three days. He lays down his life for our sin, and he takes it up again. Also, the material temple that would be destroyed, Jesus Builds again in three days in that he replaces the temple and becomes the new place where everyone can meet God and fellowship with God. He says in Matthew 12, 6, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. Oh, man. You know, uh, this scene, uh, we'll get to it, John chapter 4. Oh, it's another great scene. Verse 21, um, the woman at the well, such a great scene. Jesus says to her, believe me, woman. I remember him saying that already. A time's coming when you, you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. <laughs> you people worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But a time's coming and now it's here when the true worshipers 
will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such people to be his worshipers, and he's still seeking them. In other words, authentic worship isn't going to be attached to Jerusalem anymore or any other place. This is not the house of God. Don't ever refer to it as that. Why? People can come to God through Jesus. There's no journey. There's no pilgrimage to Jerusalem. There's no Hajj to Mecca. You know, you can go to Israel right now and people still come a long ways and go to that wall, stick little papers in there and prayers like God behind that or in there somewhere. And people fight over that temple mount. There's two places, you know. It's weird, isn't it? Why? Authentic worship. I mean, I don't know why. There's nothing sacred about it, actually. There will be in the future, but he's not there right now. Authentic worship's not attached to Jerusalem. In Jesus, we meet God. That's what he's saying. In Jesus, we meet God. We know God. We fellowship with God. You don't got to go through anyone anymore to get to God. You go right to Jesus. In Jesus, we find the true God. Jesus is the way of connecting with God. The, the Jesus temple. Jesus is the new meeting place with God. That's the whole scene right there. He's the new scene. There's no reason to cry or wail or weep or go to that wall at all, actually. Or any of the other holy sites. I mean, geography, it's cool and, and it explains a lot and you learn a lot of things. But he's not there in the sense that people go to those places anymore. John 6, 37 The one who comes to me, I will never send away. That's the good news. When you come to God, you got to go through Jesus. But we can all do that with a bow of your head and acknowledgement. My goodness, I get it. I'm sinful and I need a savior. And the work of Jesus Belief in the work of Christ sets me free. That's the best news of all. I don't have to put this all together and say, what does this have to do with me? It just screams it throughout the whole story, doesn't it? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. This is the best news of all. Thank you for this scene. Goodness. You do all of this to reveal the glory of your son, Jesus, so that we would believe. So, Lord, help us now. I know you're knocking on our hearts. Help us believe. <clears throat> help us believe. And not to just clog up our lives with all this other stuff that's not really about anything. We know that you're after hearts. So we're here with our hearts. Lord God, saying, take it. Make it new, transform it. Our hearts of stone, make them hearts of flesh. Soften us, change us from the inside out, God. We know that's what you deserve, our, our full allegiance. Help us not to get distracted by anything else. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.